Welcome to another episode of Nipe Story. This is a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short story fiction from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mwachiro. And for a Pride Month episode is the story titled Icho by David Nana Iqbo. Sometimes I run around in circles in my mind to exhaust myself. I am scared. Very scared. I wish I could explode. I wish I could show the scars on my heart for proper diagnosis. I wish the scars were a bright red blinker so that I could reach in and yank it out. They hurt. They hurt like poison on air injury. I'm fucking going insane with pain. The pain that Ratang is. I hate him. Ratang. My curse. My fall. My spanking from God. Ratang taught me about her. Desire. Desire the green fever. She's hectic. She has no manners. She's constantly taking from my politeness till all that is left is fire. Ratang. The love of my life. I hate him. He's everything like her. But even worse... He made me want with him, love him, madly. Love that is sick, savage, it is different. I met Ratang the day I came out to my family. I came out to them after my partner at that time broke up with me. I can't deal with this closet anymore, he said. After spending a few days in bed crying out my tears, I was going to hurt myself. I needed to tell someone that I was hurting. It was over a Skype call and they were several miles away. They'd heard me loud and clear because the Wi-Fi was good. I yanked out the power cable from the wall and walked away. I walked into my shared flat and caught him rummaging through our fridge. He was startled, looking quite dusty, clad in an electric blue jumpsuit, dark, thick-framed, arms belaced with veins, lashes sprinkled with dust, chin held in a thick beard and head chastised clean with boldness. Sorry, sir, I got thirsty, he said. Shut up, I said only that it was not me speaking. I, I came to fix the light bulbs, he said. Shut up, I said again. Who else is here? Your flatmate just left for the campus, he said. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I was... Shut up, I said. Kiss me. Only then did he shut the fridge. Then time froze. Then... My flatmate's key turned in the hall. Ratang stared me down with desire. 
he was filthy. Nothing happened. I was having a meltdown. I was being silly. My emotions were welling up within me. My world was falling apart and I would sit for days in the classroom, present but lost. I would sit for days in my room and at night I would bury my face in the swamp that my pillow had become because I was getting emails and Facebook messages from my family members from all over the world, begging, crying and even warned me not to be gay. The nightmare started. I had been called up to receive first prize and some person from the back row screaming at the top of his lungs, HOMO! Sometimes in these nightmares, first prize would be Ratang. In the moments of my meltdowns, there is only darkness, a saturating, consuming darkness. People become too distant, too busy, too uncaring. I need someone to reach into my insides and yank out the pain. I need someone to drain me of this sadness. There is a loud, stinging silence within me. I want to explode, escape. I want to pull at both my flesh and hair. In this moment, everything that screamed fight within me dies. And I'm left with the demon staring back from the mirror. A month following our first meeting, I meet Ratang again. He stood by his car outside my building. He looked five years older. He had proper clothes on. He was a man. Aita, he said as I passed. I've been waiting for you. Hello. I said in response. Is there a problem? No, not at all, he said. It's about the other day. I'm sorry. I win. Don't be, he said, waving it off. You're very forward, he said, while he ran his finger through the metal in his car keys. I like, he said. I like very much. He bit his lips. In that instance, my Ifentine called out all the blood and vaults in me to my pants. Ifentine, the savage. He was pulsating rebelliously. Thank God I'm wearing a big shirt, I thought. Where are you going? Ratang asked. May I drop you off? I hated him because he did not give me a choice. He knew. The fucker knew that I would not refuse. So I told him, and we drove. It was winter in Johannesburg, 2006. I'd never seen a man look at me with so much ownership, so much control, so firm and grounding, a longing that said, I am here. But he was not going to take just yet. We drove from the chilly Marshall Town through the dark silver N1 North and until Gauteng became a long stretch of dark road. The insides of his car were a tinted shade of safe or bespotted black 
or just a shade of something that I cannot now remember. He had taken me to Witt's museum, where I met up briefly with a classmate while he waited outside. I had asked him to. Then I went with him to the University of Johannesburg, where he delivered a box while I waited for him because I was going nowhere. We drove for most of the day, drove around in circles, then for a long stretch. All the while his hand was either on the gear or on my thigh. His palms wet. They soaked my jeans. He sweat. He bit his lips. He kept his eyes on the road the whole time, stealing an occasional glance at either me or the rearview mirror. All the while, I was here. I did not know Jack about this man, but he made me feel here. He made me feel firmly in his presence, in this firm presence that filled his vehicle and was threatened to rip the seams of his now-soaked trousers. I did not notice until the police pulled us over, and he took out his wallet from his pocket to get his license, leaving his heaving voice to reign sole and supreme on his left thigh. Hi, I thought. The police peeped into the car to look at me and Ratang's palm placed too close to my pelvis to be mistaken. This is my man, his body language asserted. He filled the place. The policeman smiled naughtily. Enjoy your day, guys, he said as he waved us away. I did not notice when the sun set. I did not notice when it got colder. I did not notice when Ratang's car pulled over in the parking lot beneath my building. We're here, he said. It's been a long day, I said as I got out. Not long enough, he said. Not long enough for what, I said. To make this beauty before me feel again, he said. What are you talking about? I heard you on the phone. I saw how you looked at me. I heard what you said to me. What do you mean? I asked. I see you, Kosi, he said. I see you. I'm tired, I said, lying through my teeth. I'm going in. Thank you for today. I yawned and stretched as authentically as I could. Grabbed. Suddenly grabbed by both of Ratang's hands and pulled into a hard embrace. I'm here, he whispered. I'm here, he said, pressing his pelvis against mine. Niagara. I felt myself thaw. I had my heart beat. I felt myself feel. Like the warmth of Ratang drew lines and angles through my body that I did not understand. But I wanted, I wanted, and I found. I wanted so hard to feel. I wanted so hard to thaw, to be taken, to be owned, to be believed. Niagara, 
the shaking of my core, his tongue plying alcohols through my lips as he fumbled with the door handle of the back seat of his car. It was cold. We could hear another car drawing close, just as we fell through. The glare from the passing car flashed a beam over Tang's head. It shone like the silhouette of a black pearl. Niagara. I want. I want you, Ratang said. I cried like Niagara had never fallen. I want you in me, I told him. I want to feel. Like the stars were aligning, there was a power cut. That night he churned me. He churned me like cheese in the back of his car. He bound my hands in his belt, muffed my lips with the tape of his tongue, and churned me. My shoulders burned and the belt pressed deep in my wrist till the blood was gone from my palm and it felt cold and ticklish. I felt. I felt him. He filled and plowed me, his rough dimming trousers jamming in on the back of my thighs and his sweat dropping like frost on my back. I see you, I see you, he chanted between deep-throated gasps. I want, I thought, I want. When I called him on the phone the next day, he did not pick. I tried again. I tried for weeks. Something bad must have happened to him. I got worried. Once I saw his car parked outside my building on my way for a late lecture, I went to it and looked around for the sign of a dent. When I touched it, that night came back. I could hear his voice again. My thighs throbbed. Ifentine kicked. I walked around, running my fingertips on its sides. I felt my tongue dry out. My back broke into a sweat. My heart went kaboom, kaboom. I want, I thought. I want. I was going to dash back into the building. I was going to ask the security person to tell me if Ratang was here. I was going to peel through the hallways of the building looking for him. But the lecture was only an hour long. I'd be back and I'd be in his arms. I went away. He must be working in one of these flats, I thought. When I returned that night, Ratang's car was gone. The dark clouds began to gather again, but this time they came with desire. A dark, desperate, savage desire. It rained. This was foolish. I barely knew him. What nonsense. But I want, I thought. I want. That night I curled myself around my Bible and tried to choke myself with the thought of sleeping. But all I could think of was, he was here. He was here in this building today and it did not occur to him to drop me a message or even give me his number. Ugh! I thought. In the morning, a few days later, I saw his car again, 
I walked past or at least I willed myself to. I walked a few blocks away from it. Keep walking, Kosi. Keep walking. But no. I walked back. I wanted to touch it. I wanted to touch him. I did. Every second my fingertips tapped gently across the car's body. I felt his hands between my thighs. I felt him pulsating inside of me. Kaboom. Kaboom. Every time. The seats. The very seats. I shut my eyes and it was dark again. My knees scraping on the carpet floor and my head jamming against the cushion. My shoulders. They burned. I can hear him moaning in my head. I can hear him gasping. I see you, he whispers between gas. I want. I touch myself. This is savage. I want. It's crazy. I feel him. One hand clamped firmly on one side of my pelvis. The other clamped around my belt-bound wrists. The trudging, though. I feel him. Skin. I feel him. Sweat. Slime. Sweat. And slime. And grace. His firmness that demands. You will give it to me, boy. You will give it to me. Are you all right? Rachang said. The darkness fell off like a snatched veil. I was in public, my palm wielding a jutting, drooling ifentine. Hi, I said. Get into the car, he ordered. I obeyed. He drove into the underground parking lot. It was dark, very dark. I missed you, I said. I'm here, he said. His eyes flashed through the dark with the desire. He bit his lip. I want, I thought. I want. He leaned over to the pigeonhole as though to search it, and I reached out to touch him. He jutted up. Stop, he ordered. I obeyed. Place your hands on the dashboard. Is, is, is there a prop? Corsi, he whispered. Don't ask. He reached again for the pigeonhole and retrieved two long neckties, dark shades of something. He bound my two wrists with one and bound my knee with the other. No matter what happens, keep your hands on the dashboard, he whispered. Be quiet. Okay, I whispered. I love you. His smooth head brushed beneath my arms. I felt a damp warmness reach in for me. Then he slithered around me, shivering around the shaft, teasing, tickling, tapping, teasing, tickling, tapping, teasing, tickling, tapping, teasing, tickling, tapping. Then in one swift movement, he dove into my roots, taking all of me in his damp, pulsating warmth.
want, I gasped. I want. Quiet, he whispered between mouthfuls. I'm here. Back and forth the route, back and forth. The blood left my arms. My knees jerked and kicked. I want, I gasped. His pace, fierce, fan-like, swift. Back and forth, his throbbing flesh, warm, pulsating, alive. You should come home with me sometime. He said to me as he wiped his lips while looking in the rearview mirror. This parking lot business is beginning to bore me. He had retrieved all of me, wiped me clean, wiped me dry. Okay, I whispered, coy to my bones as we drove into the daylight. Both his eyes were red, and a vein passed his forehead beneath dripping sweat beads. I don't know about love, he said, as he returned the ties which I could now see were polka dotted. But this is hot. What else could it be, I thought. I saw him more often, but it was the same game. He only said, Aita, to me, when he thought no one was watching. He never called me on the phone. I never knew when I was going to bump into him. I did not know where he lived. He did not tell me. I did not ask. But the darkness was gone and the pressure from home became bearable. I focused better in class and I slept well. I slept better when I willed him into me while I oscillated my pelvis beneath my touch. I slept faster after I was drained of my savage starvation. I prayed to bump into him, but more fiercely, I prayed to bump into him when no one else was there. Still, in his silence, he would shoot me a look of affirming desire. I see you, boy, they would say. Sometimes he would wink at me in the hallway, brushing the back of my palm with his little finger, sending the blood rushing to Ifentinia as he walked past in his electric blue overalls. I want, I thought. I want. I had known him for a year before I left for Nigeria for the holidays. He had promised to meet me on the eve of my departure, but sent word that he could not make it. I got onto the plane, feeling very distressed. I could have sworn that I was having a subtle premonition that the plane would crash. It did not. Her tongue was heavy on my chest. The darkness was going to get me. I was terrified. But this was not desire I felt. This was a different darkness, like death sat next to me the whole time on the plane. I was in Nigeria for a month, completely disconnected from the world I left in South Africa. I was getting to my final year of study. I needed to go in fully healed, fully formed. I decided that Tratang was bad news. He and all South African gay men were my past. They were all bad news. When you're in the closet, they want you out. When you come out, they want to push you back in. 
I grew increasingly resentful of my sexual subservience to this strange man with his strange car who had no history, no context, no last name. I hated him. I went to see a psychologist from my home church and she was quite elderly and I was not so pleased when I told her about my homosexuality. She suggested that I listen to my parents, pray and try to forget things that added no value to my life. What you really want in life, you will get, she said. God Almighty will give you. I began to resent her when she told my mom everything I told her in confidence. I stopped when I got onto the plane back to South Africa. She stopped muttering. On my return to my Marshalltown apartment, there was a coldness to my security person's mood. He gave me a stack of unsealed envelopes. He said that they were from the landlord. I did not know the landlord. I had no direct contact with him because the admissions office at school paid for our accommodation directly from the scholarship funds. Are you sure? I asked. Yes. His mother also wants to see you. His mother? But she will come to you. Dear Corsi, the content of the first envelope read, Sometimes we search to the end of the earth for that one person trusting enough to take a chance on us and are crazy. You make me feel, Corsi. You make me feel. Signed, Dr. R. Lerumo. That evening, a woman visited me. She introduced herself as Ratang's mother. She was an effeminate version of Ratang with slightly more hair on her head and a thin film of grey placed over her. She came with more letters. These envelopes too were unsealed. I invited her in, unsure of what would follow. She asked to sit. How was your visit to Nigeria? She asked. It went well, I said. How are your parents? They're doing okay, thanks, I said. Okay. Then there was silence. She looked around as though looking for something on the wall. These are from Ratang, she said, breaking the silence. How is he? He's fine now, she said. He will live. Dear Corsi, one of the letters from the new batch read. There is so much I want to tell you. I want to tell you that I struggle so badly with holding on to life. I want to tell you that my heart is a war zone. I want to tell you about my late child, my failed marriage, and how I can no longer write my papers or books because... My mind is too enraged, too grieved to think logically. My heart is too broken to believe. But these days, the hallways are empty until I run into you. The days are dark and grey until you walk through the door. I want to tell you that my apartment on the tenth floor with its five rooms is cold and blue marble filled with the haunting fragrance of ex-wives' perfumes hand-washed liquid 
than loneliness. I want to tell you that my life was so boring that I took up the job of changing light bulbs in my building because I needed to meet new people, walk in on new stories, distract myself from my pain. This was the only way I was not going to lose my mind. This was the only way that I was going to meet you. I am lonely, Kosi. I am so lonely. I've not been able to function for a long time, but I'm determined to hold on one more day to see you return. I want to invite you up here. I want to tell you that I intend to sell off this property, make my last donation to the university, and retire home to the Northern Cape. I want you to come with me. I want you to come because you have taken a chance on my crazy. I met you for the first time during your Skype interview for your scholarship. I said nothing about your application, but your charm spoke volumes to your merit. On so many levels, you are the one. You came at a time when the world was falling apart. You were the answers to prayers I long said, deeply regretted, and then re-said. You're about to take a chance on the world, leaving Nigeria and coming over here. I wish I could tell you to stay back home and make it work. But how could I compete? Even now, I don't know how to compete with the man that I'm seeing you becoming. With the great journey that you are on. But then, the journey is half the value of the prize. The half, what we become. I wish I could tell you that you remind me so much of myself and that I was stricken with you every time I drove past you and your friends as you walked home. Or that day I followed you into the building, calling at our name as loud as I could. I so badly wanted to spill my guts to you, but you had your earphones plugged in. I only got to the door after you shut it. This was in your second year here, I believe. It's difficult for me because I don't know how these things work. I don't know how to tell you that I feel what I feel. I don't know how to find you or what to do when you're around. I don't know how to respond to your touch. It unlocks me. You unlock every part of me. And I don't know how to handle it. So... I avoid you when I can and take you when I can no longer hold my peace. There's so much I want to be to you. The best of them is that it feels great to be finally found. Signed, Dr. R. Lerumo. Icho was written by David Nana Igbo. Igbo is a Nigerian lawyer and storyteller. His debut novel, Fimisile Forever, was shortlisted for the Lambda Literary Prize for Best Gay Fiction in 2018. In his spare time, he runs his personal blog, Letters to My Africa, and that can be found at nanaigbo.blogspot.com. 
A quick reminder that you can now find Nipe's story on Nation Audio. Thank you, AfriPods, for all your support in making this possible. Check the Nation Audio website where you can find Nipe's story alongside other amazing Kenyan podcasts. Nipe's story is available to download wherever you get your podcast from. Please write a review, rate, and share this podcast with your people. You can follow us here on SoundCloud. On Facebook, we are Nipe Story. And on Twitter, our handle is Nipe underscore story. Nipe Story is a finger piano production and happy pride.